Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to Strangers in a Cinema, a film podcast or show perhaps in three acts. I'm here, one of your co-hosts Paul Anderson here with co-host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you? I'm very good man, I'm very good. I've just been uh, bombarded with cold calls before we came on to record this and managed to bat those away in time to yeah, sit in the chair one more time and do our film show. Looking forward to it man, since we had our little change of format last week... Uh, I mean, the more things change, the more they stay the same, really, Paul, because uh, we've got three acts this week, which might seem a little bit like the structure that we used to have on the old show. But believe you me, it is definitely better now. Um, what have we got coming up, Paul, on this week's episode? So this week, uh, we'll have the list of sort of films films we have watched, uh, or what have we been watching, as the section seems to have been christened now, which is all good with me. Uh, then we will get into, that's like your prologue as such, then we will get into act one which is our review of spike lee's latest uh um sort of call to arms black clansman uh, which i'm quite looking forward to getting into that one with you pete uh after that we will be talking about what the black clansman team are doing next so having a look into what spike lee's got coming up adam driver like the, the main cast of the main cast and crew of that really see what they're doing next which sounds good uh, and then we have our top five films of the summer. So that is films that have cinematically released between June and August. So June and all basically today, actually, because uh, we're on. Are we on the last? Close enough. Anyway, yeah. close By enough the time this them. comes out, we probably yeah, will close be, enough yeah. to that. So um, yeah, so that's that's what we've got on the show today. Um, so without further ado, let's see what we've been watching. Pete. Without further ado, I do have to point out that that expression is without further ado, not without further ado. It, it slightly needles me every time you say it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it may not be, it may be by design in that case. Um, but it will be now from now on, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, with my tail between my legs, I will try and run through what I've been watching as uh, promptly, as quickly and efficiently as I possibly can. So, first one, Paul, a real oddity. Um, I don't know if you've caught up with this yet. I saw the film Terminal. Uh, Terminal is not the Terminal, but this is the one with Margot Robbie on the front looking quite uh, stern. Do you know the film I'm talking uh, about? Yes. Uh, Vaughn Stein's yeah. the director of this thing. And it, yeah, it's a real odd one, Paul, because it's sort of like um, like Sin City meets uh, the film Nurse with Paz de la Huerta. I don't know if you're aware of this. It, it, it's a very odd one. It, it's like one of those films that exists in like a nowhere place in this like neo-noir kind of comic booky graphic novel type world that is not really connected to reality hence the kind of frank miller comparison um it's a bit lofty maybe to compare it to sin city because i don't think the film really works very well there are sort of a number of little strands that are connected together but not in a particularly satisfying way so we've got margot robbie she plays um nominally the server at a diner but also some form of hit woman we've got um, simon Pegg, who pe plays a suicidal man suffering from terminal cancer we've got uh, michael myers uh, sort of extended cameo as a station agent which is kind of enjoyable uh, and then we've got this pairing of dexter fletcher and max irons as two hitmen one dexter fletcher being the senior and max irons kind of his protege and then we bring these characters together, like I say, in this sort of nowhere place where they have uh, long exchanges about the nature of being a hitman, the nature of 
being a cancer victim, the uh, brevity of life. I mean, there's exchanges, for example, between Margot Robbie's character and Simon Pegg's about death and suicide and these things that I thought, like, there's a decent film there. There's something interesting there. There are exchanges between Irons and Fletcher where I think, like, oh, there's a hitman sort of buddy slash uh, antagonistic relationship movie there, which would be quite good. There's this weird Michael Myers thing going on but bringing is this them all... Mike, is this Mike Myers from Austin Powers? Is this who we're thinking of? Or am I thinking of someone different now? Yeah, I mean Mike Myers. Sorry, I keep yeah, saying not Michael, Michael Myers. Michael Myers from Halloween. No. It's a whole different film. <laughs> no, no. But, but I suppose I could round this off by saying it's all a little bit of a horror show. Yeah, it, it just it just doesn't really work. And I, it was one of those when I, I sort of read a lot of um, negative stuff, I guess, around the time that I saw the film. And I thought, no, I think I maybe will be one of those people who sees a bit more in this than some of these people are. But by the end, no, I've got to fall into line with the general consensus, which is that Terminal just just is like a failed experiment, and that's a bit of a shame. Uh, as well as that, I've seen a documentary that's currently doing the rounds on Netflix. This one is called Out of Thin Air. Do you know this one, Paul? No. In all honesty, uh, no. Out of Thin Air... It tells the story of uh, a murder case, or actually a double murder case, potentially, from around 40 years ago. And it dangles this carrot in the description of the film, which is that, like new something new evidence perhaps comes to light 40 years after the event which is going to throw into relief the events that took place when the story actually played out i think it was in 1970s iceland okay. the original pair of of disappearances maybe murders the problem here is paul that out of thin air is of course the reverse of into thin air. Into thin air when somebody vanishes, out of thin air, maybe like when they reappear. So throughout this documentary, I thought, well, I know what's going to happen here is one or both of these men is going to reappear 40 years later and that's going to be a real, you know, like pull the rug out of under the viewers at the end of the, uh, the proceedings. But we don't get that. What we get is this weirdly organised documentary where at the beginning we've got intrigue about missing persons in the 1970s. We've got kind of... Um, uh, you know, like 999 used to do um, mock-ups. What do you call that? Like reenactments. Yeah, so you basically weren't the victim of, of a crime. You were a victim of one of 999's horrible reconstructions. <laughs> right, yeah. Very true <laughs> yeah. in that case. Yeah, and in this case, yeah, so you get this kind of uh, idea of what it might have been like to be growing up a sort of a hippie in 1970s Iceland, which sounds awesome, until people start going missing and you realise that the winters are unforgiving and all that kind of thing. But then, like, in the second half of the documentary, when it seems like all these revelations are going to come to light, what actually comes to light is to find out that the documentary makers have been entirely, like, um, opaque or uh, un dishonest, I would say, okay. in the way they've gone about making this film. Because it turns out that it's really a film about false confession. It's a for, uh, film about police manipulation. And it's a film where details that would have helped us to understand this very early on are deliberately obscured from the viewer. So it's an odd one out of thin air. I thought I was going to love it. And by the end, I was kind of baffled as to why they'd taken this approach to the material. And I think one of the reasons, maybe the, the main reason, is they had access to very very few of the primary players in the events so they've got one of the people who was accused a bit like you know like the west memphis three thing where they end up spending loads of time in prison and yes. then it comes to light new evidence it feels a bit like that and we've got one of those um those suspects or in fact those people charged with these awful crimes who will talk 
but the rest of them are nowhere to be seen. The last thing of interest out, uh, from Out of Thin Airport is that we get to see a little video clip from um, Christmas, I guess, 1975 or something like that. And uh, both Francesca and my fiance and I turned to each other and we were like, is that Bjork? Because there was a, t a little girl on the television, on Icelandic television. And I looked it up and sure enough, 10-year-old Bjork was the uh, guest child star on the uh, 1975 Icelandic Christmas broadcast. Wow, okay. So if, if that's the most interesting thing you've taken away from the film, then perhaps it's one to avoid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, it, and in fact, on the letterbox page, we've got cast, and it just says Bjork, and that's it. <laughs> so you could get another completely wrong end of the stick about this movie. It's it's nothing to do with the uh, the artist Bjork. Anyway, uh, to round off mine for this week, I'll squeeze a couple in. Uh, the Spy Who Dumped Me, Paul, is at the cinema at the moment. This is the vehicle for Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon. I kind of fancy it because I've, I've seen some poor trailers this year, some poor trailers for comedy films that have led to very good comedy films. So Blockers... Uh, tag, game plan, all didn't have great trailers, and I rather liked. So I'm kind of giving this the benefit of the doubt. Is it no, it's not really. Not, not really. Oh. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is directed by uh, Susanna Fogel. It, it. I wanted to like it, Paul. Have goodwill towards these people. I think I have more goodwill than a lot of people towards Kate McKinnon because I know she got some backlash for like the Ghostbusters reboot and stuff. But I mean, they they have a good time. Um, also having a good time here is Justin Theroux who gets to do sort of like an unlikely bid to be the next James Bond and do some sort of action and shooting and, and like hard man stuff which I enjoyed we've got like a, a kind of ice queen head of the CIA role for Gillian Anderson which I appreciated um, aside from that yeah there's a lot of um, like we move between cities constantly they're constantly moving between cities it feels a bit like a sort of low rent next installment of the mission impossible series but obviously without taking itself so seriously ah uh, like half of the jokes land maybe I, that might be generous paul i think i chuckled twice <laughs> in the in the running time right. of, of the spy dummy I, I wanted to like it a lot more i think that unfortunately and maybe it's a, a bit like a an unfair criticism but mila kunis is one of those actresses who perhaps has a an uphill struggle to play what she is supposed to be here which is a sort of down on her luck dumped girl who is supposedly a little bit frumpy and embarrassing who has to then try and redeem herself through acts of like daring do with, with Kate McKinnon this is the same Mila Kunis that I'm aware of as an actor right right is, I, can, I see where you're going right <laughs> we, we have um yeah Lolly Adafobe I think she's called the British stand-up comedian is, is one of her friends and she sort of laments the way that she's like a bit of an embarrassment and maybe like it, it, you just don't really buy it because it's like you, we know who we're talking about. And yes, it's Meg from Family Guy. So like, well, I guess there's that connection, but it, I don't know. And then Kate McKinnon does a lot of Kate McKinnon in all over the place, which is sort of a lot of, of like big uh, facial gestures and, and almost gurning her way through a lot of the scenes. And I don't know, man, like I wanted to like it. It just it doesn't it doesn't really hang together as anything more than like a passable comedy movie so i wouldn't say rush to see it rush to see this though paul which will i promise be my last thing to talk about um outside in you don't have to go anywhere actually it's available on netflix right now this <laughs> is uh the latest from director lynn shelton who did things like your sister's sister and 
hump day and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, one of the real staples, I guess, of what people call mumblecore movie making. This one stars, uh, well, another staple, Paul, not Mark Duplass, Paul, but um, Jay Duplass is... Ah, is the yes. lead here. Uh, it's a, a pretty, I guess, straightforward story about Duplass' character is a guy who gets released from prison from uh, a sentence he served for a crime that he apparently, it seems like, didn't commit and was actually sort of set up, stroke, implicated, stroke, took the rap for his brother, played by Ben Schwartz in this movie, that you'll know from Entertainment 720 in Parks and Rec, for example. Um, the, the standout of the movie, though, Paul, is Eddie Falco. Eddie Falco plays uh, Duplass character's former high school teacher who's worked tirelessly over the two decades that he spent in prison trying to clear his name and help to get him out. Uh, kind of a link there again to the West Memphis Three, I guess. And once he is out, he has these complicated feelings towards her because as much as he's both thankful to her and relieved that she did what she did, he's also found himself to be quite physically attracted to her, even though she is 15 years his senior easily and happily married. It's all mm, semi-happily married slightly unhappily married so what you get is a, a character study of a man trying to put his life back together at the point at which most of us would be in a you know established relationship have a, a stable job have sort of a small circle of friends perhaps in our community the duplass character here is like this this you know he's got like this enforced arrested development because he left society as a 17 or 18 year old and he's come back into it as a 38 year old so i found this to be a really well written and interesting drama um and it's yeah it's available on netflix man and like it's one of those that i think like i talked about last time with uh, sweet virginia people could miss easily and that would be a shame because Lynn, Lynn shelton's incredibly talented and there are a lot of people here who do good do good work most of all though eddie falco she's amazing this is like nurse jackie right eddie falco yeah, and Carmen. Yeah, right. Carmen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, cool, Paul. What have you got? Go ahead. What have you been watching? Right. So the first, the first of my list this week is. Uh, what do you mean you've never seen this film and you're really into films? Uh, it's one of those films, uh, and I've been going through these films and trying to watch some of these. Hopefully, so I never hear that again. Can I just say, uh, Paul, yes, when, when you put that up, I thought, um, you know, just <laughs> talking about the show on the show, but we should do a section that's called "What do you mean you've never seen." And then, yeah, and and I think we'll I'm going to introduce it in that voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, starting with, what do you mean you've never seen? Wings of Desire, uh, Vim Vendor's 1987, uh, very, very well-loved, um, and I would say arguably modern classic, um, starring Bruno Ganz and Peter Falk. Uh, Bruno Ganz plays uh, an angel here who is kind of, well, a little bit bored with being an angel, I would say, from this, and kind of is lives in Berlin uh, and is trying to comfort people uh, as angels do in certain situations. You see, like the first, the probably the first hour of the film is angels going to people in horrible situations, and it's very, very moving and actually very, it's quite poetic in places. This film, I thought, um, yeah, fantastically shot. It's one of those films where the city, or the city in the film, in this case Berlin, is as much a character in the film as. Bruno Gans angel character is or Peter Falk playing Peter Falk here uh, is so yeah it's one of it's, a, it's definitely a city film uh, I'm doing bunny ears which people can't see at home um, yeah it's definitely a city film I just thought this, this is absolutely fantastic the second half takes a, an interesting turn when Bruno Gans falls in love with a, a human girl uh, and is desperate to become human 
Um, and that's kind of the crux of the film. I won't say any more than that about the story that of, uh, other, that would spoil it. Uh, but no, it's well worth its reputation, uh, entirely worth its reputation as a modern classic. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, check it out. I'd say it's it's one of the it's one of the rare films that I would say almost could. But I know it has a sequel, but it could be a one off in my mind in the way that it's shot and, and put together. Have you seen this, Pete? Well, c- can I tee you up? Yeah. I've, ne- I've never seen Wings of Desire. What do you mean never seen it? What do you mean you're into films? I'm ashamed to my very core. In fact, yeah. a, a good friend of mine who watches, I would say, at his own admission, about three films per year. Yeah. Uh, one of the films that he will say, like, yeah, I, I don't care about films. I don't care about them. But I love Wings of Desire. So okay, well, that's, that's guess, yeah, yeah. for your recommendation and his, I definitely need to get yeah, to this. No, one. seriously, it's it's absolutely fantastic. If you haven't seen it, see it. It was remade. Uh, my, some people might be familiar with the, apparently that awful Nicolas Cage thing from the nineties. Uh, City of Angels was a loose remake of um, was a loose remake of Wings of Desire. So yeah, if you haven't seen Wings of Desire, absolutely see it. I mean, it's it's up there with Paris, Texas, which I, is a film that I very much another film that I love by Wim Wenders. If you haven't seen this, see it. It deserves its reputation. So get out there and watch it. Um, next up for me is a film. I think I mentioned The Bourne Legacy last week. I've been rewatching the Bourne uh, series, uh, and I hadn't got to Jason Bourne when it came out of the cinema, which I don't really know why I didn't go at the time. For whatever reason, I didn't go. Seems a bit of a bizarre one to have missed. Um, now this got a bit of a. I, I I can't really find a lot of positivity for for this this Bourne outlet to be honest. Considering you've got Paul Greengrass reuniting with Matt Damon, so that I liked seems it. Seems great. I thought yeah. it was decent. Um, I don't know if I talked about it on our show. Maybe not. I but, fucking yeah. loved it. I, I genuinely fucking loved it. Genuinely, I, hands down, I really really liked it. I mean, I will concede that I will concede to a criticism that perhaps they could have some, done something a little bit different with this. It does feel a little bit formulaic in the template of Bourne once again goes up against shadowy manipulative CIA figures. But when the shadowy manipulative CIA figure is played by Tommy Lee Jones, then I don't really see the issue because Tommy Lee Jones is awesome. Uh, the set pieces in this film absolutely incredible. Like the riot, the scene in the the, the car chase during the riot, where um, Vince Cassell's character is chasing da- Jason Bourne, is just incredible. Like, it's up there with the best of the series. I don't really see why people didn't dislike it. I don't see why people dislike this. I thought it was great. I thought you should know what you're getting now. Bourne isn't high art. It's never been high art. It's popcorn entertainment, and it's bloody good at it. And I really, really enjoyed Jason Bourne. So shut up if you didn't like it. <laughs> Who were you angry with? Well, like Just the a, whole internet. Well, no, I unfollowed someone on Letterbox because they gave it a half a star review, half a star out of five. So like point five out of ten is what they would have scored Jason Bourne. Yeah, I've unfollowed people, them there. I'm just like, what are you doing? That's who I'm angry wanna... at, that specific person. I'm very angry. But people <laughs> want to get want to get noticed, don't they? I mean, that's well, yeah. why. Yeah. But you can't have any, you can't give you can't watch Jason Bourne and give it half a star. That's just it's ridiculous, Pete. Ridiculous. So that particular person, I can't even remember the username. I don't follow on Letterboxd anymore. I wouldn't worry I about it. I just I just let it go and enjoy the movie. <laughs> that it sounds like you have enjoyed. Have you got any others? I have. Yes, uh, a film that I enjoyed very much. Again, this week it's been quite a good week. This week, to be honest, uh, actually, it's been a very good week as you'll probably find out later. Um, Thoroughbreds, um, Corey Finley's. Um, this came out this year, I think, didn't it? Twenty eighteen or what? Yeah, the uh, April, something like that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so this stars um, Olivia Cook, Anya Taylor Joy, and I believe with a tinge of Sandus, it was Anton Yelchin's last film as well. I think it might have been. Film. Yeah, the, the, one of the ones anyway that he um, was making which is or still finished. Shocking. Just yeah, the, 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 time. the just the awful freak accident. It's just yeah. Just yeah, moving on, moving past the tinge of sadness though. His last film, if it is indeed his last film, is a very good one, Pete. I think. I think Olivia, Olivia Cook and Annie Taylor Joy uh, star in role here. 
I'd say it's, it's, a, it's a whip smart black comedy with certainly with echoes of Heathers in this, which I don't think is a bad thing by any stretch. Um, kind of too. What's the best way to describe these characters? Sort of spoiled brats, I suppose. Anya Taylor Joy certainly plays a very spoiled, sort of rich character. Well, yeah, I think Olivia Cook's character in it isn't she? She hires Anya Taylor Joy's character, or her mother does, as her private tutor on some extortionate yes. hourly rate, because <laughs> Olivia Cook's character essentially doesn't have anyone to. Um, fraternize with because she is weird and potentially a sociopath as it turns out both of them may be uh, because yes. it's, it's like this movie about being like so icy cool as to not care about the life or death of anyone in your surroundings yes yeah. pretty yeah much. no and i think yeah and I, and you've summed it up well there and i think both of them are brilliant in this I, i've never seen olivia cook is someone i've kind of followed i watched i watched a bit of bates motel uh, until it became so bad it was just impossible to carry on watching it uh, and but she was always very good in this. I liked her. For, for wasn't she one. the one? Just... Wasn't she the girl in Ready Player One? She was, yeah, yeah, yeah. with it, with a horrendous birthmark that no one could look at. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So she was the yeah. She's the girl from Ready Player One. I think she's gonna have a good good career ahead of her. I think on the basis of this, she's very very good in this. This is the best I've seen her. Anya Taylor Joy, I think, is a is a very big talent going forward, and again proves it in this um, more so than in something like Split. But Anya, Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah, and you said a joy to me, Paul, feels a little bit like the new, uh, not that we need a new one, but the new uh, Mia Wasikowska. Because, you know, like the way that she seems to be taking interesting roles, she's got a very interesting look about her as in the way that Vasikovska has got. She hasn't died. She's still a very young woman and talented actress. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just found myself like spellbound by Anya Taylor-Joy, not only here, but in like most things I've seen with her. So, yeah, there's something kind of alien about her face that I think sort of reinforces some of her perform performances. But looking forward to watching yeah, this no, next. Absolutely. I, I just think yeah, this is great. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's very it's a very effective black comedy. As I said earlier in the review, definitely Heather's is definitely a touch point here, but that's that's never a bad thing when when you when you can when you can evoke a feeling of Heather's. So. And be beautiful creatures probably. Yeah, beautiful well, creatures yeah, that would be thought of that, but that would be yeah, it would be a good touchstone as well. So yeah, Thoroughbred's very, very good. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh where did I watch it? I think I paid to rent it, I think, somewhere, so I don't know if it's widely available streaming yet, but you can rent it. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. I don't think it did that much at the box office and it sort of came and went a little bit too quickly for my liking but anyway uh that's pretty much me for this week on what we have been watching well paul talking talking of the box office let's have a perfect segue into the fact that we will be back in just a moment with act one our review of spike lee's new film black clansman Yes, back we are. So this is Black Klansman. This is the latest film from uh, oftentimes firebrand director Spike Lee, uh, starring John David Washington and Adam Driver, amongst uh, a number of other very talented young cast members. But they are, I would say, the key cast here. Pete, set this one up for us. Okay, so this tells the somewhat uh, true-to-life story. I mean, it's a, it, they've taken some uh, liberties, I think, with the original story, but the basic facts are these. There was a police officer going by the name of Ron Stallworth who managed to infiltrate the Ku Klux Klan by posing as a white man. In this case, what they have is this uh, John David Washington, as you mentioned, Paul, and Adam Driver, these two central characters. Adam Driver ends up playing the sort of um, physical embodiment of the Ron Stallworth 
quote-unquote creation, whereas Ron Stallworth himself, who has used his real name when uh, finding his way to burrow into the clan, is uh, an African-American police officer who stays back on the phone communicating from the base level of the clan all the way up to the guy at the top of the clan whose name uh, escapes me. What's his name? Uh, David Duke. Uh, our, our top guy. Not our top guy, I hasten to add. The clan's, the Ku Klux Klan's top guy. Not our top guy, Pete. Just, just run that in there. <laughs> David Duke, thank you. Yeah, getting all the way to David Duke, who is the dark wizard or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, th the trailer for this movie that I'm sure people have seen gave the impression that what this was going to be was a kind of a goof. A goof based on this high concept idea that a black man joins the clan. Not unlike the uh, old Dave Chappelle... Uh, uh, black racist, black white supremacist uh, little skit that he did that became so well known. Um, Spike Lee mentioned that in a Q and A, actually, quite inter interestingly enough. But go on, sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to not <laughs> yeah. think about that when, when you watch this movie. But I think there's a lot more to it. Before we get into our more detailed thoughts on the movie, here's a little clip. How do you propose to make this investigation? Well, I've established contact and created some familiarity with the Klansmen over the phone. I'll continue in that role, but we'll need another officer, surprise, surprise, a white officer to play me when they meet face-to-face. -face. That's my point exactly. Chief, black Ron Stallworth over the phone, white Ron Stallworth face-to-face, -face, so there becomes a combined Ron Stallworth. Can you do that? I believe we can with the right white man. We can do anything. So I think the first thing that stands out to me here, Pete, is that John David Washington, let's be frank, is going to be massive. He is incredible in this film. I think he is, he's, for me, he's the, the, the beating heart of the movie uh, and will be massive. I'd say equally as big a star as his father, uh, who is Denzel Washington, which I didn't realise until after I until after I saw the film. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense. That, that casting makes a lot of sense in the fact that obviously Spike Lee and Denzel Washington have a very close working relationship. But yeah, John David Washington, incredible here, would be my first. Yeah, well, a couple of... A couple of things on that, Paul. Um, in fact, John David Washington was in Malcolm X when he was six years okay. old, I think, no. eight years old, as a little kid. Uh, obviously, his dad was the star in that movie. And then Ron Stallworth himself, the real-life Ron Stallworth, wanted Denzel Washington to portray him in this movie when he knew that Jordan Peele had taken this story to Spike Lee and it was going to be the telling of, of his own tale. But he was delighted, apparently, the story goes, when it was, in fact, the son of Denzel Washington who was going to step into those shoes on your other point i would say that like i love the enthusiasm about this guy because i think he is great as well although he's got a very short filmography yes. at present so like to say that he's going to have the same level of career as one of the most successful contemporary actors is quite a leap isn't it at this point i don't know but on the basis of this performance i can't i can't see i can see it happening i think he's he's incredible in this film at least you've got a car well, yeah and, and and i mean i i would agree with that from the angle that if your father is Denzel Washington it's not just about sort of a sense of nepotism and getting roles you don't deserve but it is going to grease the gears to him maybe being given some exactly, opportunities yeah. that will be not only like um a great opportunity career leap wise but also maybe the more interesting or well-selected projects from the right people in the industry so, so yeah. we'll see but we're getting away from the actual story and the telling of that story yeah, yeah, and, sorry. and so um I don't know 
my coming into this my feelings about spike lee are a little bit mixed because we've got like the great stuff like um do the right thing all the way back but then we've got like good stuff recently resurgent spike lee like uh chirac which i like quite a lot from a couple of years ago but before that we've got spike lee doing this kind of abortion of a reinterpretation of the the park chanuk movie old boy which felt like equally terrible and unnecessary um at once yes elizabeth olsen is in her pants in it so it's not all bad but it really did not need to exist so like there are some odd choices made at times by spike lee and i think there are times where he sort of also made himself look kind of foolish but with all that having been said we can't forget that this guy has such an eye for making a point with like an electric sense of um importance and charge and sort of uh passion for want of a better word and one of the things that i think permeates black Klansman, a film that on the surface seems like i say from the trailer like a kind of goof is that this film is deadly serious this film is deadly serious man like th there are jokes here there are bits that will make you laugh there's that guy who was in um i tonya that who i really like i'll look up the actor's name in a second but who's the kind of tubby member of the clan group who's constantly saying dumb stuff and asking to yeah. touch the c4 and things like that and that character is brilliant as like comic relief but yeah the the lifeblood of this movie is a deadly serious polemic about what was going on in the 1970s but more pressingly what's going on now and there are moments in the movie where spike lee is effectively breaking the fourth wall and winking and nodding at the audience and implicating the current american president again and again and again in all manner of uh, indiscretions to to put it very very mildly so like i mean did you get that too because i just even from the way the, the film was soundtracked, it, it felt like like one of the angriest Spike Lee films I've seen in a long time. And from a man like Spike Lee, I think that's quite a thing to say. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with you. So this is where I, I didn't like the film probably as much as I thought I would, because I thought at times that kind of that kind of bang in your head, like that anger came out a little bit too much in my liking. And I think it, it could have, the message could have been delivered more subtly. There, there's certain times where I think there's, there's two characters talking about, oh, one day a guy like David Duke will be in the White House. And there was like, no one would ever elect a guy like David Duke to the White House. And I, I found at times the message to be a little bit patronising. It's just like, and just a little bit overdone for my taste. And I, I understand that he's angry. I understand the film needs to make a point. But at times I just thought, yeah, I get what you, I get where you're going with this. Like I, I understand that, and ultimately, I, yeah, that's my one. It's a slight criticism because I did like the film a lot. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but, but then I just thought it was it was too much at times. But, but then, but then, where is too much? Because once you get to the, and it's not, there's not really a spoiler here. You know, like uh, the, you know the, the the links between white supremacy and the White House and the the, the events that that happened um, with regards with things like modern day clan marches and 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 sort of far-right involvement in american politics but like the way that this film has this uh like um footage on the tail end this sting in the tail of real life footage from the streets of the united states including what happened in charlottesville with the the running down of civilians it like i don't i i see what you're saying about the film maybe within itself but once it so directly connects with that footage and that those stories 
I don't know, man. I think I think Spike Lee can tap dance all over these issues without feeling to me like he's gone too far in any direction because I it it felt like a man uh trying to find like levity and comedy in in something just just like just like a bed full of like anguish and 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 pain and and trying to find sort of balance between like the characters are between um revenge or restitution for what's gone on and then doing the right thing like being a good guy i've not said that on purpose uh, uh <laughs> being a being a good guy and being a professional and a role model but at the same time standing up for what you believe in i mean there are all these kind of parallels and um like dueling sides in the movie that are set against each other whether it's um D jewish uh, man versus anti-semitism whether it's a uh, black guy posing as white guy whether it's uh the panthers against the police like th so many things here are placed against each other and i think that again i was kind of surprised by how well handled they were which is maybe to to the credits by Lee. i don't know and i should say man there are four screenwriters here including spike lee so it's not as if this is all from the pen of one man and you know we tend to over credit like directors and stuff like that but um yeah i i don't know i i i really liked it i really liked the film and i and i think that it's the best thing spike lee's done in an awfully long time no don't 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 get me wrong i like the film I, I enjoyed the film a lot i would agree it's the best thing spike lee's done in a long time it's just at times i found those those scenes a little bit grating but the, but overall I liked it. I see exactly what you're saying. I think one of my favourite juxtapositions was probably between um, John David Washington, the Ron Stalworth character, and his uh, his student girlfriend. Like she was kind of representative of the Black Panthers and more militant Black movement, and he being a police officer, and the kind of juxtaposition between these those two and how they could make that relationship work and work for the same ends was one of the really interesting parts of the film. Well, I, thought, I thought that bit was great. Uh, and and that didn't that make you think of something like the John Boyega character yes, in Detroit? Yeah. Yeah. For example, like where you're trying to sort of play both sides and trying to find where it is that you fit. Um, yeah, given this duality, I mean, it's even talked about in the film, double consciousness, yeah. right? Like she talks about double consciousness and the idea of, of being uh, an American and being a black woman in her case, right? And trying to bring those two things together and always feeling t like they don't quite marry or they don't always marry in like a comfortable, amicable way. But um interestingly as well just things about filmmaking i guess aside from the issues at the center of this thing uh, it's the first thing that spike lee shot on film since old boy because things like chirac and the movies that have come in between have been all shot digitally and i think that comes through in like a, a kind of beautiful way i think the sense of the 1970s is quite strong in the movie and the soundtracking in this thing is oh, like yes, exemplary exactly. as well not uh, not not only for things like uh, i believe it's like a lost long lost uh, prince recording that plays over the credits at the end but the fact that you've got like um almost like movie uh movie music that would fit into something like shaft playing uh or being uh i forget the word here i can't think of the word because i'm not a musical person really but like um transforming into almost like ominous like thriller music or like uh, below sequences that are deadly serious you've got some music that's saying like yeah but this is cool though isn't it like this is co-opted as cool in visual media 
and I thought that that was very deliberate, and I found that to be a kind of interesting choice as well from from the director's side. And the the closing, uh, the the double dolly shot that Spike Lee's very yeah. famous for is used incredibly well in the close. What I would consider to be the closing scenes of the film before the Charlottesville footage rolls. Um, yeah, that final shot is is something quite special. Um, so yeah, and the film looks incredible. Um, yeah, yeah. Overall, I, I very much liked it, and I think there's there's a lot more to like than there is to to not like for me at least. I said I just have those concerns. And again, going back to the Charlottesville footage, I don't think it was needed. I, it but, doesn't. But, but by what felt... by what scale? Like what? How can you say? Like from our position, how can we say it wasn't needed? Because the film the film is about as an already liberal person who knows that Trump doesn't need to be in the White House. I don't need to. I don't need to see that at the end of the film. I'm aware Charlottesville happened. It doesn't. It doesn't change anything for me. I just felt it just it felt too a little bit too preachy. But in that con but in that context but we shouldn't isn't this something we should be preaching about? Like in that context, didn't that hit you hard? Didn't you feel the whole cinema where I was when I watched this, the whole cinema shut up and hushed down and watched that footage play out. And it was an incredibly powerful moment in the cinema. And yes, I know maybe you can say like, oh, this is not you, but one could say this is sort of shock tactics or it's like, you know, there for, for the sake of being there. But I thought it, it, with the in the context of a movie like this, it was entirely justified. It made sense to me. And it, and it left me remembering that this movie about uh black guy infiltrates the clan is not just a goof it's not just a fun like oh this was a funny thing that happened in history you know you hear people laughing earlier on in the film because it's just like oh yeah the, the idea of it is just funny you know a, a jewish man saying the word kike is funny because it's so uh, taboo like this guy talking about uh, how he hates the uh, the makeup of a black man's face even though he himself is a black man is funny but by the end of the film you understand with that footage in place this is not fucking funny at all like this is this is like one of the preeminent serious issues of our time and so from that standpoint i can't help but think that he's entirely within his right to smash us over the head as much <laughs> as he wants to until things change until things change and i think you've got to keep banging on that door until things change and, and not just be happy to say oh i'm aware that these things are just so because yeah in our comfortable lives that may be the case but we're not the ones who are suffering really but if you're going to change someone's mind which ultimately so ultimately minds need to be no minds needed to be changed absolutely i agree with that and spike he's always been a political filmmaker i've got no issue with political filmmakers in the slightest but if the kind of person you want to change their mind goes to see black Klansman and watches that footage it's just going to make them more angry and hate someone like liberals like spike lee all the more it's not going to work i don't think so i don't me, think anyway. so what's what's the image that plays out at the end of the movie it's the image of the woman who died who is white in Charlottesville, and yes. the, the 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 title card or the card that's propped up at the at the memorial there says uh, no place for hate. And the film makes very clear at the end of this movie that we're not leaving it going like I I'm not blaming you for this because it's a, a figure of speech, but it's not a call to arms to go out and fucking murder white cops or whatever. No, this no, is a film that ends by saying let's not be where we are. Like the man on the street in Charlottesville in that footage who's screaming at the camera. And and saying these this is my town these are our streets and we didn't ask for any of this the the thing i took away from it and yeah maybe i'm not going to go out and change the world tomorrow because i've seen spike lee's movie but it, it brought home even stronger for me this idea that all of this on either side generating hate and distrust and and, and fear of otherness is the problem 
and is it central to what's going on not only in america but sort of uh, many places across the world right now so like i'm not like you know breaking news here obviously i don't think i'm sort of somehow ahead of the game by having these feelings because i think it's very very common but i think like i would sooner go to the cinema and be given a, a sort of punch to the gut like that and reminded of something as important as that than you know bless them but see i don't know kate mckinnon uh put in a flash drive in a vagina or whatever um because and there's a place for both. There's a place for both. I get that. I'm being but perceived. But for me, the film did a good enough job without the Charlottesville scenes at the end of it. And I, I felt, personally, we'll close on this because otherwise we'll, we'll discuss it forever. But for me, it didn't work. It felt heavy hand. It felt heavy handed. I felt the film, before those scenes, did a good enough job. Personally. But wouldn't you then have left the film going like, oh, the dolly shot, really cool, Spike Lee, cool, black filmmaker, cool, made cool film, cool and walked out like that shrugged like i'm not and like i say i'm not saying that now uh, like a swathe of audience members are going to be like politicized and, and kind of opened up in in some kind of intellectual social way but i i think that that was a smart choice to have a bigger takeaway than cool black exploitation nod ending to movie you know fair enough i don't <laughs> <laughs> this is why we have these discussions i enjoyed this one very much yes. now because paul and i obviously as you can hear are, are so invested in talking about this movie we thought for act two this week we would just have a quick look into what some of the main players in black clansmen are gonna be up to next we're talking here obviously about the actors rather than the people they portray so we will be back in just a moment with act number two So we are going to have a look at what's coming up next from, who have we got? John David Washington, director, co-writer and director Spike Lee, Adam Driver, uh, and it wasn't Steve Buscemi's brother in this, did you tell yeah. me earlier, Pete? Which I, I didn't realise. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was one of the things that bugged me in the movie, was like looking at this guy and being like, that's Steve Buscemi, but it's not, because he seems a bit younger. I thought there was a guy that looked like Steve Buscemi as well, and I'm just like, eh, is uh, it? Yeah, Ma Michael Buscemi is also in this movie, Steve Buscemi's younger sibling, so therefore we will talk a tiny bit at the end <laughs> about what he's up to, bless him. But uh, that's really patronising, I'm sorry, Michael. Uh, but first of all, let's get to uh, John David Washington, who is of course Denzel Washington's son uh, first of all Paul we've talked about this one on the show at least once um, this comes out UK side on the 7th of December it is The Old Man and the Gun from a ghost story director David Larry and I for one am very excited now you as a man who has compared the early career of John David uh, Washington with the potentiality to be Denzel Washington levels you must be stoked as well that he's in such what seems to be such a potentially big upcoming project right? yeah, I think it's um I think it's an as you said about I think at this at this stage in any actor's career I think it's for me at least it's more important that they're choosing interesting projects rather than necessarily massively bankable ones and I think generally you'll find that actors that do that in my in my experience probably have a longer term career ahead of them these days they start with some more interesting choices and then and not that black Klansman isn't commercial filmmaking because it will be i imagine it'll be a very successful film but um it's not a blockbuster by any stretch it's not a big marvel output or, or something like that so yeah i think it's an interesting choice for him it's certainly a good director for him to be working with um especially with all the love that director garnered from from a ghost story so yeah i think it should be i think it should be a good choice for him do we know much of what have you said about 
about the film before. What, what's the... So, so this movie is um, based around uh, the true story of uh, a guy called Forrest Tucker, and he made an audacious escape from San Quentin, the notorious San Quentin prison, at the age of 70. Wow. 70 years of age. And then uh, the, there's like a string of heists that he carried out following his breakout from prison as a septuagenarian. So um, already I'm kind of intrigued by this. Robert Redford, having somehow survived uh, all his last and, and, and yeah, not sort of perished trying to get that thing finished, has then thrown himself in. Because Robert Redford's like 85 I think or this is his now. last film, isn't it, from what I read? I think, I think it could well be, film. yeah. Uh, has thrown himself into this. We've got Casey Affleck again in, in this one, Sissy SpaceX in it, Danny Glover's in it, Tom Waits is in it. I mean, all kinds of people are attached because who wouldn't want to work with David Lowry at this point? Because it seems like he's on the up and up and uh, just a really interesting guy to work with. So, yeah, like we said, um, 7th of December, not long to wait um cinematic releases a pg-13 which is interesting uh because this is where it came in at last week's chart or excuse me last week's preview that it's listed on the imdb as a comedy crime drama okay so we'll Gee, see yes. we'll see how much comedy mixes with the crime and the drama in in that particular one um there's also one more to mention paul which is uh, monsters and men which hasn't released yet um it says u.s release date 28th of september this year and this one, also, of course, starring or in featuring uh, John David Washington, talks or, or tells about the aftermath of a police killing of a black man told through the eyes of a bystander who filmed the act, an African-American police officer and a high school baseball phenom inspired to take a stand. So it would be glib to say this is in the same vein as Black Klansman, but obviously dealing with issues of, of black America and uh, police brutality and, and things that were touched upon maybe in, in that movie as well. Uh, Metacritic at the moment stands at 70, um, which seems vaguely promising. And so that's another one I suppose to look out for, maybe not on the scale in terms of the, the distribution and release that Old Man and the Gun will get. But um, yeah, certainly an interesting thing if you're interested in following this guy's career up to the heady heights um that it may well achieve we better do now because i've i've said i've said big things i've built him up now so you best be as big as denzel or uh, or i'm out <laughs> talking about uh elevating to the level of being as big as denzel should we move on to adam driver paul yes what, what is in the pipeline so, for mr so adam, adam driver, driver uh, i think that probably the nearest thing is the long 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 time coming uh man who killed don quixote by terry gillingham who is famously tried to get off this a film he famously tried to get off the ground multiple multiple times uh, to the point where his failure to get it off the ground even resulted in a film called lost in la mancha so the film is finished it is with us and it stars mr adam driver um who i think we didn't really touch on in i adam driver's great isn't he i think he's he, I, we didn't really touch on his performance in the black Klansman review no but no it's, it's easy to to get caught up in, in issues of that movie obviously but like you know we've talked plenty in the past paul about how much we admire adam driver i think so we should take it as listeners to this should take it as read that we thought adam driver was brilliant black <laughs> yeah, yeah that's fair was. yeah so this is man who killed don quixote uh, which I'm very excited to finally see because I said it's sort of Terry Gilliam's magnum opus I would say at this point um, the fact he's finished it I think is great I think I very much look forward to seeing a new Terry Gilliam film uh, 
Something else on the horizon as well that he's filming at the moment, the little-known film Star Wars Episode Nine, uh, obviously relinqu- relinquishing the role of... Not relinquishing, continuing the role of Kylo Ren. Um, reprising? Reprising, that's the word I'm looking for. Thank you, English teacher. Um, yeah, so reprising the role of Kylo Ren here. Um, so Star Wars Episode Nine, sure to be massive, hopefully will be better than Episode Eight. Um, and we'll, what else have we got? Have we got anything else, Pete? He's got to be attached to. Oh yeah, things. man, we've we've got more. There are a couple that I am. I might start crying when I start talking about these. So Adam Driver will be uh, in the upcoming Jim Jarmusch film, The Dead Don't Die. Paul, the cast for The Dead Don't Die, which uh, has a plot that's currently under wraps, although it is apparently a comedy horror. So another of those so how much comedies yeah. they're going to be. Who knows? Uh, this one stars uh, Adam Driver, Paul, and of course, of course, Tilda Swinton. Uh, and adding to that, as if that wasn't enough, uh, Chloe Sev- Sevigny, Sevigny uh, Bill Murray, and Caleb Landry-Jones, who's that guy Ooh. who's just the weird pacing a, one in everything. That is a cast list. It is a, a real <laughs> cast list. And then I have to mention as well... Uh, you're familiar, I, I believe, Paul, with the director Leos Carax, who did uh, like Holy Motors yes, not too I long ago Motors. and stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, Leos Carax has a project in the pipeline that has two people attached to it, Paul. One of them is Adam Driver, and the other one is Michelle Williams. I, I don't know. Sometimes I look at like IMDb early release preview pages and stuff like that, and I just start to get a bit emotional because I just can't comprehend <laughs> how good this combination of people between Carax himself but then Michelle Williams one of my favorite actresses and Adam Driver one of my favorite actors in a project that currently has no release date but I can give you this the film is about a stand-up comedian whose opera singer wife is deceased sounds hilarious yeah uh he finds himself alone with his two-year-old daughter who has a surprising gift this film is called Annette uh that's all we've got at the moment but I am for one incredibly excited about whatever that is going to turn into um there's also a Noah Baumbach project but we don't know much about it but he's going to work with Noah Baumbach so uh, that will probably be good uh, there's a there's a thing called the torture report that he's doing with John Hamm uh, co-starring with John Hamm and Maura Tierney uh from Scott Burns uh in the aftermath of 9-11 attack so like Adam Driver is one of those kind of touchstone actors that if you look at all the stuff he's doing next you're going to find like five of your most anticipated films of yeah. the next year probably yeah, for so sure. uh, for sure. it's a chart in and of itself there really do we know what Spike Lee's doing next has he, has he made any announcements yeah we know something about what Spike Lee's doing next I think hold on what have I got here um have you got anything for me Paul whilst I'm no, I tried to find out something earlier and I could nothing jumped out at me, but you seem to have nailed this whole pre-show research thing a lot better than I have. <laughs> yeah, no, I might be with you. I think that I've got one thing for Spike Lee. Yeah, I've got one thing for Spike Lee. Spike Lee is attached to a project that, again, sounds kind of unspike Lee-ish, but it is a, an action movie called Nightwatch. Um, this is about a scientist called uh, Kevin, Dr. Kevin Trench who obtains a battle suit with superpowers. How have you missed this? This is so far up your street, Paul. From someone he discovers is a future version of himself. So, um, I yeah, who knows how Spike Lee is going to handle uh, a kind of battle suit action movie and superpowers, but I'm all for it, there'll man. Be a double, there'll be a double dolly shot in it, for sure. We, we've got to have a few of those, certainly. Yeah. 
Um, and that leaves us only with your boy, uh, Michael Buscemi, who, to be honest, Paul, before we watched Black Klansman, didn't really know he existed. So we won't spend a long time on this. Uh, he's in something called uh, Smothered by Mothers uh, with... Uh, oh, this is the reason I pulled this one up. With Heather Matarazzo. Do you remember her? Yes, vaguely. From, Where do I know that name from? Well, well, I knew her originally from Welcome to the Dollhouse, where she's amazing, the Todd Salons film. Yeah. But then she was dangled upside down and oh, cut to ribbons what... in yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Hostel yeah. Part 2. And, and I never forgave Eli Roth for that. Um, so there's that. And there's also something called Jessica Frost. A young woman searching for the origins of her past is thrown into a turbulent journey through the desert when a time-travelling psychopath begins hunting her. I mean, Jessica Frost might not be that good, Paul, but uh, Christy Swanson showed up for it, so we'll right, see. Right, Nice. Yeah, this one I would imagine will show up deep, deep down in Netflix uh, sometime next year. It's got March 2019 attached. So, uh, yeah, not loads of release dates on these things, but reasons to be optimistic and excited, I think, at least in the cases of uh, John David Washington and Adam Driver. And then add to that the, fi- the fact that Spike Lee's doing an action movie. So, um, yeah, so, some stuff for us to look forward to and yeah. to dig into on future episodes, I think, man. And we'll be back after this short break with our top five Michael Buscemi films. <laughs> back and Paul has misled you slightly because we are uh, n- not doing a Michael Buscemi top five just yet but maybe in the future anything's possible what we have instead for you is our countdown of our top five films of summer 2018 so as Paul said at the top of the show this is going to be films that were released in either June July or August of 2018 cinematically or at least debuted perhaps on streaming if anything like that qualifies in my case I don't think it does but I wanted to leave that open um Paul do you want to go first yes we start with number five um actually this list should put into you sit there and go oh a giant film about a guy in a robot suit from the future this list will prove you wrong Pete (laughs) it's it's not always my thing at all um yeah so starting at number five uh it's a film that I actually only saw yesterday for the first time um at a very slight preview screening but I think it's still just I saw it at the cinema therefore I'm counting it as an August release uh this is a harrowing harrowing sort of bittersweet I say bittersweet comedy drama it's definitely not I don't know whether comedy is the right word it makes you laugh in places but I'd say bittersweet drama a pincushion from director Deborah Haywood starring Joe Scanlon who people will know um, from a number of TV shows she's a very very um, very very well qualified TV actress been in um, I'm pretty sure she's been in the loop uh, the thick of it and those kind of things she's very very good um, and, um, and Lily Newmark. So Lily Newmark is an up-and-coming star who many people may have seen in Solo. Um, she's got a bit part in that. She's a very talented young British actress. So I think What's the film about? Far. The film uh, is basically about... So you've got Joe Scanlon's character, lives with her daughter, uh, Iona. Um, they move to a new town. Um, Joe Scanlon's character, the mother, who is Lynn in this film, um, I definitely has issues, shall we say. She's not. Oh, she's not the... She's not, 100% well developed as a person she is somewhere on the learning difficulty spectrum and is very very sort of cloying um, very very cloying very like they, the mother and daughter call each other dafty one dafty two so they're, they're eccentric now let's go we'll go with a, they're a fairly eccentric family um, the character of Lynn Joanna Scanlon's character is got uh, unfortunately sort of slight has got a hunchback um, and is sort of victimised by a lot of people like there's opening scenes where she's kind of the opening scene where she's walking down the street with her daughter 
these kids start throwing rocks at her and are just fucking vile to her. Uh, her daughter Iona starts school um, and is savagely bullied from that point onwards. Um, so yeah, it's not an easy ride. It's not for the faint of heart, but it is an incredibly powerful film um, about the impact our words can have on other people. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, should be required viewing in schools across the country, or in fact, in workplaces across the country. Anyone, anywhere anyone has ever been bullied, please show them this film, because it is an incredibly powerful um, account of why you should not do it um, and, and the impact it can have on people. And the end, Pete, is just savage. Like the, the end, the, there's a twist in a tale, and it's not it's not a pleasant ending. It's a very, very good ending. Um, I'm still struggling to comprehend it because I only saw it last night, but yeah, it's a very powerful piece uh, and number five at Films of Summer so far. So if, if you can find Pincushion, I think it's on general release this week, find it. It's very, very good. Number five for me then, Paul, uh, one that you're going to disagree with, but I'm going to march on regardless. My number five is The Secret of Marabone, or just Marabone, depending on where you saw it. Uh, this one uh, came out 13th of July, so like mid-July this summer, and it kind of it was a nice surprise for me because... Um, I, I it sort of it, the fact that it played with uh, haunted house stuff. I enjoyed the way that it did that. I thought was effective. The director here is Sergio G. Sanchez, who wrote the screenplay for the orphanage and then wrote like the impossible and worked with uh, Bayona and stuff. J. A. Bayona before. Um, here he gets to step out in his own right as writer director of this project and yeah maybe it's more promising than complete maybe it's it there's more potential than there is fully realized potential but at the center of it you have this amazing performance from Anya Taylor Joy and like I uh, mentioned earlier on just her kind of um fairly intoxicating presence in, in this thing and the sort of giant gap between her eyes and there are all kinds of things I could talk about that aren't as sort of um superficial as they might sound maybe uh, Mia Goth's in this as well who is uh, talking of sort of interesting looking actresses she's really good uh, another one is uh, Charlie Hil Heaton although um, I know maybe you didn't like him or was it the other guy George McKay George McKay we disagreed on but yeah I think that the, the fairly young cast here are, are all pretty good including the tiny little boy I think he's Matthew Stagg uh, the actor who plays Sam the, the youngest sibling of this group of kids who are basically left to fend for themselves after losing their mother and being left with this giant house in the middle of sort of countryside nowhere and trying to keep their environment isolated from prying outside influence and outside eyes. Uh, yes, it maybe goes into some slightly histrionic um, ideas by the end of the movie or maybe they're played with in a way that is not as subtle as it could have been. However, I think the stuff that it's dealing with is important and I think by and large it, it worked pretty well for me so yeah for, for all of those reasons i liked it and it got to my number five that seems the secret of marabone i should say paul what have you got number four uh, number four i've got the escape which is the uh sort of breakdown of a marriage drama directed by dominic savage starring Gemma arterton and a never better or i don't think he's ever been good apart from in this film dominic cooper um yeah as i said i think i talked about this a few weeks back as i said the first half of this film is just impeccably well put together and is again not an easy watch it's a very very hard-hitting drama and Gemma Arterton again I don't think has ever been better than in this it's just an incredibly well performed uh, and well written um, look at a, a marital break a marital a marital breakdown um, I'd say this is I was talking to my sister about this film the other day there's possibly a slight wobble uh, later on in the film where the events move cities without giving away any without trying not to give away any spoilers it's a slight wobble in the film the more I think about it the more I think yeah that scene lets the film down slightly but that being said it's still an incredibly effective drama that if you get a chance to see it then see it um, and that's The Escape at number four 
Number four for me, Paul. I know one that you've caught up with recently, judging by your your listed presence on, online, because we don't talk anymore. Uh, th- this one <laughs> is uh, searching from. Um, I was going to say from director John Cho. It's not. It's from uh, director Anish Chag- Chaganti. Uh, this guy's first feature film, I believe, and um, this was the one where his, I believe, brother went on to Letterboxd and talked about how proud he was of his sibling and the achievement of bringing this thing to the the. Oh, big screen yeah it was beautiful it was like a, a review that he wrote up there but john cho is the star here um, alongside supporting cast uh, people like deborah messing the reason why i like searching so much so this is this movie that um tells a story of a missing teenage girl uh, from an asian american family entirely through the medium of screens uh yeah, entirely through the medium of screens and windows yeah, is, and yeah. apps and, yeah. and things like that. And it's all about the way that sort of our modern lives are, are filtered through the prism of social media and technology and connectivity. But sometimes that connectivity is maybe not as real as it might seem. Now, that's nothing new. A, a bit like, I guess, it's, there's no real link I can make here to Black Klansman. But like a bit like that movie in the sense that, like, yes, these are things that we know. But I think when they're pointed out this effectively for me at least it really brought home certain truths about not only the oh technology is scary and dangerous like in something like men women and children that dreadful jason reitman film from a few years ago but like it brings home also the way in which so many of the the positive parts of our lives are held together by the kind of glue or cement of its social networking of Uh, digital photographs for example stored as as digital dust somewhere on a hard drive there's a sequence at the beginning of the film which is not to spoil anything where um, the story of the demise of John Cho's wife the mother of the daughter who ends up going missing is told entirely through uh, files stored on on John Cho's computer that are played out video files and emails and uh, a favourite recipe and things like that that really almost broke me down to tears when I saw it. That bit, I, I will give you that. That bit literally broke me as well. I thought the, the film started on almost too high a note with that those particular scenes because they were superb. But it, it, right. it, it reminded me a little bit of the setup in the, the... Maybe I talked about this when I talked about it before, but like in the video game Firewatch, they do this incredible job of setting up the game by just putting text on the screen and telling you about your relationship yeah. with your now uh, former wife. And, and like that kind of visual storytelling but sort of i guess text-based storytelling also it is so effectively employed in searching but then i think yes it is a high point but i think the film manages manages to sustain this thriller plot by using these devices so cleverly and so um seamlessly at times it reminded me a bit is that movie called unfriended well yes yeah, by the same called? producer isn't it it's bergman's bergman's off right used unfriended right. as well that, so th- I think this is a far superior film to that, but I think both of them are very effective in giving us examples of how we can integrate technology into our storytelling at the cinema or on the small screen without it just being a gimmick. And here, for 99% of the time, it doesn't feel like a gimmick. And I think that is the, the biggest credit I can really give to the director and, and the star of this thing. So, yeah, I really liked it. And I think people have got the chance to see it now because it's on, I believe, it's on general release. Or at least here it says 31st of August, which will be this weekend. So, yeah, check Check it out if you have not seen Searching. Paul, what's at number uh, three? Number for three for me. Ooh, I can't decide if this is number three or number two. Or does it ultimately matter that much? It probably doesn't. Um, so I'm going to go with number three being Mission Impossible Fallout. 
Um, just we talked about this. Uh, we reviewed it on the show um, a few weeks back, and everything I said there stands for me. The best action film since Mad Max Fury Road. Just incredibly well put together set pieces. Uh, very very clever for the most part. Scripting and plotting. Uh, great performances all round. Tom Cruise's commitment to entertain does not disappoint here. Um, yeah, just an absolutely blistering from start to finish action film cinematic experience that see on absolutely the biggest screen possible because it's nothing short of incredibly entertaining cinema. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout at number three. Uh, I, yeah, totally agree. More on that. Uh, no, number three for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not much more you can say to that. Number <laughs> three for me is uh, one that I'll keep brief because we've already talked about it. Number three for me is the Spike Lee film Black Klansman, which we reviewed this week. Uh, released in the UK 24th of August, so it just sneaks into a uh, to qualify for this countdown um yeah uh, i mean we've kind of said it all or at least i've said my side of it already but it's both funny and deadly serious it's the best film spike lee's made in absolutely years um yeah the the, the primary cast members are, are fantastic in this and the guy i want to list his name because i really like him that guy who is like the goofy one um just just keep talking there paul on the other end if you could that would be really helpful um, no, 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 can't find his name. Okay, well, the guy from uh, Kingdom and the guy from Itonia, who is tubby and has a beard, is really good in it as well. But yeah, I, it just it just hit for me. It just hit and it hit quite hard. And is it Laura Harrier, she's great. Laura Harrier, we haven't really mentioned her whole episode. She's superb. Is she, she needs, British she needs as well? Some credit in here. No, she's American, I think. I looked her up earlier. A very, a very British-sounding name, but um, yeah, apparently American, American model turned actress. But yeah, she's very, very good in this and on supporting duties as well needs to be added but yeah yeah loads of stuff to recommend it go go for the 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 comedy the serious message go for the music go for the references to black exploitation that if you're into that stuff you'll you'll recognize and enjoy as well uh, it's just loads of good stuff black clansman uh, watch it now great uh, paul what's number two for you uh, number two for me is paul schrader's latest film uh, starring ethan hawke as a well the film was first performed i do apologize so yeah paul schrader directed um and written uh, it's relentlessly dark featuring a superb performance from ethan hawke uh, it doesn't always make for easy watching, but it has sort of this relentless dread, this creeping atmosphere of dread that something is going to go wrong. Uh, it's incredible. Like the, he plays around with a f- sort of um, academy aspect ratio, which works really, really well. Creates a, a fantastic sense of isolation to certain characters. And what th- this really does is it makes you think about the fact that you've got these, you've got jobs that you would think as obviously stressful and obviously like would be horrific like if you're a soldier or if you're in the police force or fire brigade or ambulance those kind of thing you'd you'd assume that these people see and deal with horrific things on a daily basis that job would be quite stressful you don't really stop to think that actually if you were a priest and people are just unloading their shit on you on a daily basis that that could have some influence on your psyche as well um and first reform kind of definitely definitely explores that kind of side of things to uh, to religion and being a priest so yeah it's um it's not an easy watch at, at all um but it does feature for me oh it would have been the ending of the year apart from the film that i'm going to talk about next so yeah first reformed i think will probably be hitting physical release fairly sharp fairly soonish because i watched it a few months ago at the cinema so yeah if you haven't seen it catch up with paul schrader's first reformed it's one of his best films for quite some time number two for me uh, i'm just picking up the baton from something paul's already talked about this is mission impossible fallout um, like you said paul totally agree it's the best action movie of the summer hands down uh, end of discussion <laughs> the, yeah it, the, there are just like set pieces in this that you could watch again and again and again like if you pick up the disc and you just you know need a little pick me up just watch like the helicopter chase scene for example on its own <laughs> yeah, um, that's fair, yeah yeah 
Yeah, I mean, um, take take for granted the fact that, like, Tom Cruise is well aware that the idea that he just left the thing that he left on the floor is really stupid and is just, like, a yes, way the of only igniting bit. the yeah. plot. No, but, like, but that's where my point's going, is that, like, I'm sure that Tom Cruise and the filmmakers here are very aware of the fact that he's a stupid, <laughs> just, like, MacGuffin so that they can push the plot forward. But so what? It's a Mission Impossible movie. It's not a documentary. No. <laughs> and, then, and then also the fact that, like, if there's any problem, we can just print a face now. That's <laughs> yeah. a thing. Remember how people were like, oh, face-off is a crazy idea. No, don't, don't worry about face-off. What about just print face? Like, oh, it's not him, it's him, because we printed a face. Oh, okay, that's fine. Um, so you've got to take that stuff for granted. You know, the, the fact that like, oh, he's got a different voice? I'll just attach a little thing to his esophagus, then he's got a different voice, a different person. Different face, different voice, it's all fine. Um, take all those things for granted and understand this is just like a load of good fun. It's a massive action movie. It's the best of the Mission Impossible franchise has ever been, I think. Um, from its pretty... Um, like, I really like the first movie, but it's a very dour yes. film. It's a very self-serious, dour film about talky, talky, knock-list complications. Whereas here, we can just enjoy the fact that this is like boys' own fun. And it's not just about boys. There's also women kicking people in the head. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson, that's the person I'm going for, gets to kick people in the head and be awesome in this. She could get her own spin-off. That would be all fine by me. But yeah, it's really, really good. And, you know, you can tell, I think, from our gushing that we both like it very much. Paul, what is number one for you? Uh, What is number one for me is not just, in my opinion, the best film I've seen in the last three months. It might be the best film I've seen in the last three to five years. Um, This is Pavel Powalski's, um, I've probably butchered his name there completely, uh, Cold War. Um, This, quite frankly, Pete, is one of the the best looking films I think I've ever seen. Um, shot exquisitely in black and white. Every shot could be a photograph. Um, not only that, but it's an incredibly engaging love story um, starring Joanna Kulig, who he's worked with before on Ida, which I've never seen, uh, which I have ordered now, so I'll put that right. And who, what's the male lead in it? The male lead in it was actually considered for the villain in Danny Boyle's version of Bond, and apparently is one of the reasons. Thomas, Thomas Cott, but apparently Danny Boyle wanted to cast Thomas Cott as the villain. Daniel Craig said no, and that's apparently one of the reasons he left. But anyway, on a side note, so we've got Joanna Kulig and Thomas Cott here. Uh, Thomas Cott kind of uh, is one like a talent scout for this sort of Eastern Bloc um, talent troupe that's going to be touring all the Eastern Bloc Soviet countries. Uh, Joanna Kulig plays a singer uh, who joins this troupe. They fall in love and then the film is a love story and it kind of focuses on their relationship over the next 30 years uh, as certain certain things develop, certain uh, Thomas Katz characters' politics come out he has to move to Paris and then it goes on like that so it's sort of a, a 30 year enduring epic love story uh, the performances are just incredible the music is just beautiful uh, and the film not not only that but the film Pete runs in an incredibly tight 88 minutes as well so there is no there is no nothing here that doesn't need to be there it's just a beautiful 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 piece of filmmaking and the end just resonates and just continues to resonate i I, i'm gushing it's incredible it's one of the favorite films i've seen in a long long time and just if you do not see another film this year please 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 see cold war incredible if if this isn't your number one at the end of the year because the the amount that you have 
like you know from from a a more um sensitive co-presenter than me it would almost sound like you're rubbing it in everyone's face that you've I've seen, seen it twice, this twice now, yes. already yeah, yeah. yeah you've seen it twice already i saw it again i've gone to another <laughs> screening good for you no i look forward to catching up with this one a lot and especially like astonishing that you said it runs at like 80 some minutes yes. when you fitted in a 30 year span so i thought you were going to say like this runs three hours no. and i'd still be all for it because you know it's a story no, it's, and told, that, i think the 88 minutes thing just it's so works so well in its favor because it's such a tight film and watching it the second time i don't know if i've mentioned that uh it honestly it felt like it was on for about 10 minutes by the time it finished i was just like wow just wow honestly i can't i cannot speak of cold war highly enough pete what have you got at number one uh, at number one for me, Paul, one that I'm a little bit surprised you've left completely off your top five, but that's why these things are interesting. Uh, my number one is the Ari Aster feature debut uh, as writer Didn't director. Didn't it come out in it's, May? It's, no, it came out 15th of June, UK. <laughs> in which case, it probably should be on my list. I apologise. I really had it down as a May release. <laughs> uh, okay so uh, anyway with, with that having been said this one is hereditary um, that we already reviewed in the show we talked about so you know I think a little bit our thoughts this one stars Tony Collette as the central uh, m- <laughs> matriarch's the wrong word like the, 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 the mother in a family who is married to uh, the character played by Gabriel Byrne they have two kids one of those kids is, two kids or three kids oh, we can't get into it um, but what <laughs> One of those one of those children is played by uh, the, the the unique looking actress Millie Shapiro, who has this way of sort of making clicking noises with her mouth, which uh, will stay with you for a very long time after you've seen this movie. Um, the, a few things that I take away from uh, Hereditary, other than the, my little thing that I wrote on uh, Letterbox, incredibly personal response to it, but is um, there is a sequence in this film that will make many people think twice about ever doing any kind of behaviour-altering or mind-altering drugs again in their entire lives uh, because it is so, so harrowing that it was difficult to even deal with that in the cinema. I spent a lot of time kind of holding myself slightly in this movie or, like, biting on, like, my knuckle or part of my finger uh, as it was playing out. It's intense, it's tense, it builds and it builds and then it just literally and figuratively sets light to itself by the end. Um, the idea that Hereditary is some kind of film that jumps the shark by going into all this um, explicit, uh, visualised version of what is the thing that happens at the end that I'm not going to talk about, I think is misguided because I think the filmmaker knows exactly what he's doing here and he's making a film which is about what is passed down from generation after, which is uh, an, an inherent mental illness that is inescapable and that point could be made more powerfully in the way that it is made in the film than it would be made by just being implied in my opinion other opinions of course are available uh tony collette is amazing in almost everything she is uh, as good as she's ever been in hereditary i would say um it plays around a little bit with what she did in uh that TV show that I always mention, the United States of, of Tara in terms of the dissociative personality disorder thing. Um, it, it's, it's just a great movie and it's a great movie that will stick with you and it's the kind of movie that will reward you if you don't try to talk to your mate halfway through, check your phone halfway through or laugh at things because you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable. 
go for the ride if at the end of it you didn't enjoy the ride fair enough get off get off the ride and get on with your life but in my case uh this kind of shook me to my core for a little bit after it and certainly during it so that's why it makes number one and paul i do just want to tag on the end of my review the fact that ari aster this guy who's sort of exploded now off the back of hereditary has another film in the pipeline called uh, midsummer and midsummer is also a horror movie surprise surprise about uh, a woman who joins her boyfriend on a summer trip uh, where things quickly go awry but the reason I bring it up Paul apart from the fact that, that sounds awesome in its own right is that this has got in it Florence Pugh that we both liked so much from like Lady Macbeth and, and elsewhere uh, also Will Poulter, <laughs> Will Poulter and, and Jack Rayner and uh, all kinds of like young up and coming actors and actresses as well who have attached themselves to the project so when it comes out it's going to be sometime next year um, we'll wait and see but yeah Ari Aster is going to be like a major force I think in contemporary horror so that's something to to look forward to, uh, I think, in, in my case, and I would imagine in yours too, Paul. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Hereditary, I think, was number one of my of the films of the year list so far when we did that. So, yeah, certainly not, not unloved by me at all. I thought it was an incredible film. Uh, that's pretty much it. Just before we go, I just want to do a quick plug for something that I'm working on with... Um, the guy over at Rockers Caucus, which is a local Bath event. So, uh, as people know, I'm now based in Bath, so I'm doing an event with Rockers Caucus, who do like sort of video game nights and that kind of thing. Uh, we're putting our minds together, and we're doing a joint film and video game quiz in the uh, Curfew Pub in Bath on the fourth of September. So, anyone Bath local, or perhaps even coming from Bristol, is more than welcome to attend that. Pete, you'd be more than welcome to attend if you could make it to Bath for just one evening. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to give it a quick plug to that. Well, that that may be like my first official invite to Bath so like a vampire I can't enter unless I'm actually invited oh okay right well there's an open invite to come to cool. Bath so there we go cool um, yeah so yeah if you fancy that so we'll be I'll be writing the um, the film quiz questions uh, so yeah that'll be that'll be a bit of fun if you are local to the area pop down and say hello for sure uh, shameless plug over I think that's about the end of the show isn't it Pete yeah I think the first question should be uh, when was the film hereditary released throw that one out in your, yeah. in your quiz <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, enjoyed the countdown, enjoyed the show. If you also enjoyed the show, that's really the goal here. Uh, it's not just a sort of a tiny little circle jerk. Then uh, we would like to hear from you. So get in touch via the Facebook, search Strangers in a Cinema. Uh, we've got an email address, strangersinacinema at gmail.com. We're also active on both Twitter and Instagram. So hit us up on there or just like our stuff or follow us or do all the stuff that the cool kids on the internet are doing these days. And we will be back in situ by this time next week to bring you probably another countdown certainly another review and definitely a load of uh, rampant opinions about about films in one form or another paul anything else from you uh, that's it from me apart from yeah thanks for listening cool see you next time all right shut up and sit down